0: In your Bibles too, the book of Esther, we're actually looking at Esther chapter 6. Esther is the remarkable Old Testament story of how a Jewish woman named Esther became queen of ancient Persia and used her position and power to save the Jewish people from genocide. And within the story, there are many lessons for us today about what it means to live out a life of faith in a world and in a culture that is disconnected from God. And today, we're talking about one of the most important characteristics for such a time as this, and that is the characteristic of humility. But we can't talk about humility without also talking about its opposite, which is pride. We're going to read the whole chapter, so I'm going to pray first, and we're going to work through it together. So let's pray now and invite God to speak to each one of our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that every person in this room and everyone watching online matters to you, and you want to speak to us. You know what we need to hear, and we pray and ask that you would reveal and remove pride where it exists in our life and in its place, would you cultivate humility? Would you teach us this morning what that looks like and how that happens in our lives? And I pray for those who do not yet know you. I pray that today they would hear, understand, and believe your gospel the good news about your son, Jesus, and be completely changed today as they do. Spirit of God, would you speak to us together? We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. What was first published in 1942, the Screwtape Letters book became an international hit, even placing its author, C.S. Lewis, on the cover that year, of Time Magazine, which is surprising because the book is a fictional account about demons strategizing ways to tempt mankind. But it resonated because the examples and illustrations used within the book were so familiar to the inner struggle and temptation that people experienced every single day. C.S. Lewis was praised by all the, the critics, supposing that the success, the international success of the book, was due to his years of study in anthology and medieval literature and theology as a professor at Oxford. But he disagreed. Instead, he said this There is an equally reliable way of learning how temptation works my own heart. I need no other to show me the wickedness of the ungodly. Today, we're about to read the story of a man named Haman in Esther chapter 6. And it is a story about the danger of pride and the surprising importance of humility. And it is a story that invites us to look into our own hearts and examine whether or not pride exists. And if that offends you, good, because today is actually on pride, so that works. Now, as we look at a person like Haman, and as we see his characteristics and attributes, it would be very easy to say, no way, not me. I would never. But here's what you need to know. Everyone says that. Pride has a way of blinding you to itself. I remember when I was 14 and one of my classmates, this girl said, Tim, you are so conceited. And I said, no, I'm not. And I went home that night and I took my mom's dictionary and looked up the word because I actually didn't know what it meant. (laughs) Means arrogant, just so you know, (laughs) which is ironic (laughs) because see, when it comes to pride, we despise it when we see it in others, but we excuse it when we see it in ourselves. When we see it in other people, it's always clear. They are prideful. When it comes to us, it's complicated. (laughs) And that's why it's so key for us to talk about pride. So important for us to talk about humility. And what is the surprising importance of humility? Everyone thinks humility is a good thing, but is it really that important? Well, the answer to that, I suppose, depends on how dangerous you think pride is. I had to put it in a statement, it would be this. Learning about humility will not only lead to growth, it will save your life. Haman is essentially the prime minister in ancient Persia, one of the most powerful empires in history. But underneath his powerful position is a fragile ego. Through the story, we learn when a Jew named Mordecai refused to bow to Haman. Haman's ego is not only wounded, his ego is also nursed and it is fed. His pride in this story goes completely unchecked. The result? He plans not only to have Mordecai killed, but he secures government permission to annihilate all of the Jewish people living in the Persian Empire at that time. But what the king and what Haman does not yet know is that this order to annihilate the Jews would also include Esther, the queen, for she is also a Jew, though her identity was concealed from them up to this point. Haman was an Agagite, the historic enemy of the Jews, and he clearly continued the same hatred that his ancestors held. So with some manipulation and some spin, he gets the king's permission to destroy the Jewish people. But there is a problem in his plan. Mordecai, the Jewish man that he wanted to destroy, is about to be honored by the king himself. And what happens in chapter six begins what we might call the downfall of Haman. And in this description, we see a man who is arrogant, who is paranoid, destructive, and self obsessed. This chapter is a study in pride versus humility. Now, on the outside, sure, my decisions may look vastly different to Haman's, your decisions may look vastly different. To Haman. But on the inside, the Bible tells us that we all share this ability to deceive ourselves. So every one of us must look within our own hearts. In chapter three, we learn that Haman's order had been published throughout the empire and that the Jewish people would be destroyed, and it was only a matter of months. But in chapter four and five, we learn that Esther is willing to take a huge risk and request. An audience with the king. And right now she's in the process of putting a plan together by inviting Haman and the king to a feast, a banquet, where she will raise the issue. But at this point it still seems that the odds are against the Jewish people. But behind the scenes God is at work once again to bring about a remarkable deliverance for his people. And the turning point just happens to be a sleepless night for the king. Look at verses 1-4 of Esther chapter 6. That night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, which I find funny, by the way. He's like, I can't sleep. Can you come tell me all the great things that I've done? It'll help me sleep. To be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai, had exposed Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him. His attendants answered. So here we have King Xerxes. He couldn't sleep. So he has some reading brought in. And he learns of Mordecai's act in chapter 2 where he informed the palace about a plot that he overheard to assassinate the king. What has been done for this man? Nothing, the attendants reply. Well, these acts of loyalty must be rewarded. But how? He seeks counsel. And where does he seek it? Verse 4 and 5. The king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole that he had set up for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. And in a twist of irony, Haman was just about to tell the king that he wanted to impale Mordecai publicly so that he could go on enjoying his life. And just at that moment, He was called upon by the king for his advice on what should be done to honor a person who has saved the life of the king. Little did he know that the man the king wanted to honor is the very man that he sought the king's permission to destroy. And the rest of the narrative reveals our lessons. There's three, and there are three sets of contrasts about pride and humility And they show us what pride and humility look like, where they lead, and why. And the first is this. Pride puts you at the center, but humility moves you from the center. Notice the contrast between the king's desire to honor someone else and Haman's desire to honor himself. Look at verse 6. When Haman entered... The king asked him, Haman, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? And now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honor than me? <laughs> I mean, it's almost laughable. Haman just interprets every scenario, every situation he's in, as it pertains to himself. The king's like, hey, sh- who should I honor? And within himself, he's like, well, the king's obviously talking about me which shows us our first lesson about pride. Pride puts you at the center of everything. That's what pride is. Pride is radical self-centeredness, where you evaluate a circumstance. You are constantly making calculations in regards to your own ego. Thinking to yourself, well, what do I get out of this? How will I be viewed in this situation? Some of us, our relationships right now, our friendships, working relationships, depend. They stand or fall depending on what you get out of it. Now, here's an important clarification. We're all tempted with self-centered pride, but in different ways. Not all of us will walk into a room and say, well... I am clearly better than other people, though some of us might. But have you ever stopped to think that another form of pride is not just arrogance, but also insecurity? See, arrogance is the attitude of your heart when you walk into a room and you say, well, I'm better than these people. But insecurity is you going, I'm inferior to these people. You might say, wait a minute, what does arrogance and insecurity have to do with each other? What do these two attitudes have in common? Well, what they have in common is this, both arrogance and insecurity are two attitudes that are totally focused on the self. Both arrogance and insecurity are both not only focused on the self, they are also forgetful of God. Many of us struggle with insecurity. But have we ever stopped to wonder whether or not that is actually a form of pride? Because in that moment when we're just being controlled by our own security, we're not only focused on ourselves; we're forgetting what God has said. God has said you're his creation. If you're a believer in Christ, God has said you are adopted, you are accepted, you are beloved, and yet you walk into a room and you're not remembering those words of God over you. You're measuring yourself according to the other people in the room. Well, yeah, I know God says this, but what's really important right now is how I relate to these people. And we actually see both arrogance and insecurity in the story of Haman. Haman walks into a room assuming that he's better, but he also walks into a room with fear, wondering whether or not he's inferior. The point is, you were never meant to be at the center of the world's story. Pride asks, who will honor me? Humility asks, who can I honor? Now, there's a few questions for my heart and a few questions for yours. When you are overlooked, do you find yourself becoming angry? Maybe at work, somebody else gets the raise when you think you deserved it first. What's the story you tell yourself in that moment? Or when somebody else is noticed and you are not? You're like, oh, I can't believe they got that position and I did not. I can't believe it. I can't believe that that I was not recognized for my act of service. I mean, friends, let's be honest. This happens even in the church. You sign up to volunteer, maybe you weren't chosen, and you're like, how dare they? Don't they know I am a bastion of spiritual gifts, an arsenal of holiness available to serve the people, and I was not accepted? How dare they? I can even play the tambourine and I was still not accepted. (laughs) How many times have we been consumed with anger when we are overlooked and somebody else is chosen instead of us? Or to put it another way, how does your heart respond when another person succeeds? Do you find yourself becoming jealous? Do you find yourself when somebody else is, you know, promoted above you or at school they're doing better than you? Do you find yourself within your own heart instantly making a case for why they didn't deserve it? It happens all the time at work. Like, you think you're doing a good job. You think the raise is coming in. Somebody else gets the raise. and You're like, oh, they're employee of the month. And you're like, Wow. How did that happen? I mean, nobody knows. It was a miracle, maybe a mistake, but hey, you got it. Employee of the month. Who thought? Who knew? I deserve that. When someone else succeeds, do you find yourself becoming jealous? Or here's another question Are you controlled by the fear of failing? Now, let me be clear failure is never fun. But when you are controlled by your fear of failure, it is a sign of pride. It's an attitude of the heart that says, hey, I'm not going to do anything unless I know that I will come out looking like a winner. And that will often keep you from opportunities. That will often keep you from an opportunity right in front of you. Like, hey, I'm not going to do this unless I can safeguard how I'm going to look when I do it because I've got to come out looking like a winner. Or here's one more. This is fun, right? It's fun. (laughs) When good things come to your life, when blessings come, do you find yourself being grateful or entitled Maybe God provides for you, or for your family, or for your friends, like something that that you knew you, you needed in that moment. When it comes, when it arrives, do you find yourself being so grateful, like, oh, my word, I can't believe. Thank you, God. Or are you like, well, 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 look what God decided to finally do. I mean, I know you always come through according to your timing, which is also known as late, but it's fine. You know, I won't hold it against you, God. I mean, let's be honest this morning. What is the posture of our heart when blessings come? Is it gratitude or is it entitlement? As if we're taxpayers with rights. Like, hey, God, I paid my holiness taxes. I went to church this morning. Where's my stuff? Right? I want want the romantic relationship. I, I want the pay rise. I want this new opportunity in my career. Where's my stuff, God? When blessings come, do we respond with gratitude or entitlement? All of these are examples of putting yourself in the center of the story. By contrast, humility moves you from the center. And there's even some practical ways that we can Walk in this, even this, this week, ways in which help your heart. For example, when someone else is blessed, maybe it's someone that you struggle with jealousy of or you're in competition with, whatever stage of life you are in. When that person is blessed, praise God for it. Just try it this week. When somebody else is blessed and they get that blessing, just in your heart, say, God, thank you for blessing that person. Just pray it. It's so good for your heart. It's not easy to do. Sometimes you're like, oh, God, just thank you for blessing that person. Thank you. But there's more. When somebody else is blessed, praise God for it. But you can also do this. It's also good for your heart. When somebody else is blessed, not only can you praise God for it, ask God to bless them even more. works wonders for your heart. God, thank you for blessing them. And I just pray that you would bless them even more. And you want another one? It's good, right? I know you do. Here's another thing. Not only can you praise God when someone else is blessed and you are not, not only can you ask God to bless them even more, but third, you can offer to help. Hey, God has blessed you. God, would you bless them more? And God, would you use me in their life to be another blessing? I'm going to offer to help and to serve that person. See, humility, as it's been famously said, is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Look, humility is not beating yourself up. Okay, that's actually false humility, which is actually just another form of pride. Humility is just thinking of yourself less. It's, it's what some call self-forgetfulness. Like, oh, I just I wanna, I wanna serve. How, how can I serve this person? And in doing so, we actually fulfill the call that God has our lives to be others-centered. And when you do, it actually brings the most fulfillment. Because it's how we were designed to live. But pride only thinks of the self. Look at Haman's response. After the king says, hey, Haman, There's somebody I want to honor, but I just don't have the right idea of how to do it. And Haman's like, well, of course it's me. So what does Haman ask? Verse seven and nine. So he answered the king, well, king, if we're talking in hypotheticals here, for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the most king's noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Notice his advice is based on what he wants for himself. And what was that? He wanted to be treated like the king. Pride places you in the center, but humility moves you from the center. Now, we might say, well, yeah, we all put ourselves first in some ways, but is it really that bad? The answer is yes. Secondly, pride leads you to ruin, but humility will keep you from ruin. Imagine the horror on Haman's face when the king replied. Look at verse 10 and 11. Great idea, Haman. Go at once, the king commanded. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai. And if this was a film, there would be an echo, right? Mordecai, Mordecai. And he's like, no, never. Never who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. And I love that the king said that because we all know that Haman would have been like, oh, I he would just put him on a horse, but like leave him in the stable. Like he wouldn't have done everything. <laughs> Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse and he robed Mordecai. Imagine what's happening in Haman's heart in this moment. He's like, oh yeah. I literally went to the king to ask permission to kill you. And now I'm putting the king's robe on you. And to go even farther, verse 11, and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, and I do wonder how Haman said this, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Like in my imagination, he's like, this is what is done for them." And <laughs> like, what, what was that? Haman? This is what is done for the king. This is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Because Haman knows that everything changes in this moment. Because once the king finds out that his wife and his queen is Jewish, and that Haman ordered their destruction, it is the end of the road for him. More on that next week but we note here that it will be his own plans and his own schemes that will condemn him. His pride has led him to ruin. If there's one thing that scripture makes clear about pride, it's that it's not only bad, it's deadly. And that's another reason why humility is so important. Because it keeps you from ruin. How does our pride lead to ruin? Like, how could it be that bad? Let me just give you three examples. First, pride is a blinder to your faults. Pride acts like a blinder to your faults. In other words, pride will keep you from learning from your mistakes. Notice, never once in this story does Haman ever consider that he could be wrong. It's not even a question. He's always just looking to control the circumstance or figure out how to work things in his favor. Never once in the story does he ask like, hey guys, is it good to annihilate the Jewish people? Hey guys, I built this pole to impale Mordecai on it in front of my house. Do you think that's a good idea? Like, should I do that? Is that wrong? Never once does Haman consider that what he's doing is wrong. See, here's what happens when pride wells up in our own hearts, the people that correct you and maybe even love you, you begin to resent them for their correction, like, how dare you correct me? Like, and let me be honest, correction is never fun, right? Who enjoys correction? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Like, yeah, correct me again. How many ways was I wrong? Tell me again. It's not fun. But it's good. It's right. It's necessary. But some of us, we allow pride to come into our hearts where we're just like, you know what? Forget about it. I don't even want to hear it. Which, by the way, is code for, I do not want to learn from this situation. If there were ever subtitles on the arguments we have with our friends and our spouses and whatever, it's like, oh, just stop. We don't need to talk about this now. The subtitle would be, I do not want to learn from this situation. (laughs) Pride conceals itself. The more prideful you become, the less aware of it you are. I mean, think about it. The other more obvious evils are hard to deny. So when you're stealing, someone's like, you're stealing. You're like, wait, what? All right, I'm stealing from a store right now. Oh, it just slipped me by. I didn't see it. Other more outward evils are fairly obvious. But the attitudes of the heart especially pride, are often undetected because pride is a blinder to our faults. Secondly, pride is a defender of your ego. You justify your actions. You justify your decisions. Notice throughout this account, Haman is always justifying his decisions. He's elated when he receives praise. He's angered when he's challenged, and he's depressed when he's not rewarded. So when someone challenges you, when someone corrects me, you might manifest it in different ways. You might just try to ignore them in more passive, aggressive ways, like I might be tempted to do. Or some of you, you lash out at them. But the one thing pride will not allow you to do is to repent, which means to turn around. Now, sure, it is socially acceptable, especially in the the workplace or in school, to accept your faults, but it's always done with a little bit of passive-aggressive tone to it. Like, oh, yes, I totally own my, my mistake, but of course, it wouldn't happen if it weren't for management, or it really wouldn't happen if it weren't for my coworker. I mean, that's the real problem, but totally, I hold my hands up. Pride defends the ego, but the deadliest reason... The pride leads to ruin is this. Pride is an opposer of God. By definition, pride puts you at the center. Only God is supposed to be in the center. When you put yourself at the center of the story and you're on the stage and God is a mere stage hand, you're actually opposing God. It's interesting, the author of this story points again and again to the ancestry of Haman. He was an Agagite, which we said earlier were the historic enemies of the Jews. For the Jews were the people who believed in the one true God. They hated this. Haman is an embodiment of it. It's the attitude of the heart that places itself in the center and it leads to ruin because it opposes the very author of life himself. And notice that both humility and pride, they're important to know even now because both attitudes are a foreshadow of future events. If there's pride in your life, you get a clue as to where that person is heading. Likewise, if there's humility in your life, you will also get a clue about where that person is heading. Both attitudes are a foreshadow of your future. Just like... Birds returning to the trees before summer, or clouds moving in the distance before the rain, or like the shadow of a person falls before they walk through the doorway. Pride and humility come before destruction and honor. So if someone's life is going to end in destruction, it will not happen by surprise. Pride will go before. The warning signs will be loud and clear. By contrast, when honor visits your life, the foreshadow is humility. There will be signs before the events. And God in his love encourages now humility because of that and warns us about pride now, today, this morning, because he knows where it leads. Pride will lead A fall. Humility will recognize this. And so this morning, friends, we need to ask where is there pride in us? In what areas of my life am I living out of pride? Is it my marriage? Is it my parenting? Is it my friendships, my relationships, school, work? And it's an important question to ask because if there's one thing that could cause the greatest damage to our lives and to our church, it's pride. In 2021, I've been reflecting on this this week, we've been talking a lot about all the dangers outside of us and outside of the church. And of course, they are real and they are there. But are we willing to admit that the greatest danger It's not actually what lies outside of us, but what could arise from within us. After all, when I think of all, when I think of the church, I think of all the scandals we all read about, like sex, money, and power. And I often pray like, Lord, keep us from the sex scandals. Keep us from the power scandals. Keep us from the money scandals. But how often do I pray, God, would you keep us from pride? How often do I pray, God, keep me from pride? Because after all, is it not pride that actually leads to all these other, you know, scandals? Is it not pride that leads to an affair? Someone feeling entitled, well, my spouse isn't, you know, cutting it, and I deserve... Something other than, than this? Isn't it pride and entitlement that leads to an abuse of power? Like, I need to be honored like this, and, and these people need to get in line, and therefore I'm going to use my power in this way. Is it not pride that says, I deserve this money, those people do not, and therefore I will take it? Is it not pride that fuels these attitudes? And it is an attitude of the heart which if left undetected or undealt with, will cause some of the greatest damage in our lives. And yes, in our church. And so scripture says, watch yourself. On the other hand, humility seeks to use power and position and fidelity in relationships to serve other people. And as a result, it actually keeps us from ruin. Why was Mordecai being honored? Because Mordecai took a risk to save the king's life, even though the king's character did not deserve it. Mordecai did not esteem himself above the flawed king, and the result was life. Pride leads to ruin, but humility will keep you from ruin. And thirdly, here's why, because pride keeps you from change, whereas humility leads you towards change. You know, what's interesting about Mordecai when we read this story. In contrast to Haman, when he was overlooked, and he was, he wasn't destroyed by it. And now, even after he gets the king's parade, he's not overly thrilled by it. What does he do? We're told in verse 12, he just goes back to work. He's like, all right, parade's over, going back to work. Verse 12, after Mordecai returned to the king's gate. That's where he worked. He doesn't like update, you know, his profile pic to a selfie from the king's parade, like, hey, honored. (laughs) He knew not to trust in the opinions and the approval of men. And we've seen in the story that that both Esther and Mordecai have changed. They were humbled by their circumstances. They were humbled by the challenges that were brought to them because Mordecai and Esther were... By all evidence, we see we're living compromised lives in Persia, but faced with the new challenge that Haman brought, they were forced to make decisions about what was most important, and they chose to identify with the people of God. And Esther, in particular, chose not to put her life above the lives of others, but rather lay down her life for the lives of others. Mordecai and Esther were changed. But by contrast, what happens to Haman? Verse 12 and 14 is the end of our chapter. But Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had happened to him. His advisors and his wife Zeresh said to him, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. That's interesting. You will surely come to ruin and while they were still talking with him the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet that Esther had prepared Haman is full of sorrow but tragically there is no change why his pride keeps him from change this is what the bible calls in second corinthians chapter 7 sorrow without repentance. Sorrow with repentance leads to salvation, Paul says, but sorrow without repentance only leads to death. Sorrow without repentance is where you grieve the consequences of sin, but not the sin itself. In other words, you're sad that you got caught, but you're not sad about what you did. That happens all the time. Some people get exposed in the affair or the stealing or the lying or the cheating or whatever it might be, and they're grieved over it. But for many, they're more grieved that they got caught than they are that they did it in the first place. Notice with Haman, even his grief is all about Haman. It's not about God, and it's not about others. And it's a warning for us. Pride keeps him from change. It's a reminder to us, friends, to when God is convicting you, making you aware of something that needs to change in your life, that we don't say, I'll deal with it later. Not now. I don't want to deal with it right now. Just forget about it. As we'll see in the next chapter with Haman, tomorrow is not promised to you. And tomorrow is not promised to me. Haman lives in pride and God will oppose him. But there is good news. Mordecai, on the other hand, has chosen the path of humility, and God will lift him up. And the events of this this person who was in the shadows and who risked his life for a flawed king is now put on the horse when his enemy is the one parading him around in the, the, the city. God would lift him up. In the end of the chapter, Mordecai gets what Haman really wants the royal robe of the king's delight. And that's what it was. The robe was a sign of delight. And what we see here, friends, is a great reversal has taken place. And it highlights a theme that we see through the whole Bible. This great reversal that takes place. On the one hand, yes, there is a warning. But on the other hand, there is also good news. Let me give you a few examples. The book of Proverbs chapter 16 says pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. Better to be of lowly spirit with the humble than to divide plunder with the proud. Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The book of James says humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. The Apostle Peter says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Church, humility leads toward change because humility is the attitude that receives from God. If you remember nothing else, remember that. Humility is the attitude that receives from God, and God is the one that brings the change. See, here's the good news. The way to deal with our pride is not to put in extra effort to try to deal with our own pride. The way to deal with pride is to come to God. The way to deal with pride is to receive from God. It's to pursue the path of humility. And we actually see the greatest demonstration of all of humility in the person of Jesus Christ, who himself did not need to change because he's the son of God, fully God, fully man, who came into our world 2,000 years ago. But he did lower himself in order to change us, in order to rescue us from the destruction of our own pride. God actually reversed places with us. That's what the gospel is all about. We deserve death on a cross, but Jesus took it in our place. He deserves to be exalted. But the gospel says that in a twist, we are raised up with him. And in that, Jesus is the opposite of Haman. Haman wanted to destroy people, but Jesus came to save people. Haman would not offer forgiveness for anyone, but Jesus offers forgiveness for everyone. Haman tried to raise himself up and was taken down from glory into death. But Jesus humbled himself all the way to the cross and was raised from death to glory. And it is because Jesus did this that a redemptive reversal can take place in every single one of our lives today. Because though we in our pride have resisted God, he in his humility has made a way for us not only to be forgiven, but to be clothed in his royal robes of delight as the accepted, forgiven, beloved sons and daughters of God. How amazing is that? This reversal of fortunes is exactly what it is for us, and it's only because of Jesus. It is his humble work on our behalf where he lowered himself that saves us and heals us. And this is why, friends, humility is key. Because humility is a posture that receives from Jesus. And in doing so, we learn to reflect Jesus. Paul says that in Philippians chapter 2. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, this Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Because friends, what we learn in God's economy, the way up is actually the way down. And we see this in Jesus. Down he came from heaven to earth. Down he came from king to servant. Down he came from life to death. But up he rose from the grave. Up he ascended into heaven. And right now ever lives to intercede on your behalf. So that you and I today can repent and we are forgiven immediately. As though we never had any pride or never had any sins as his beloved children of God. And that is the gospel truth. And that is worth celebrating. And so this morning, as we respond right now, the way for our pride to be healed is by looking to the humility of Jesus. See, of course, the answer to our pride is not by focusing on our humility, like, oh, I'm so humble, because that would be actually prideful, ironically. Right now, it's about receiving from him. What does humility look like right now? Humility means confessing our sin. What does humility look like right now? Humility means coming, receiving prayer and asking God to move, asking for his power and his strength and his healing and his wisdom. Humility is coming forward and taking communion, eating the bread and taking the cup, remembering Christ's body broken for you, his blood shed for you. What does humility look like right now? It means singing and delighting in God because in his grace, He not only forgives us, but he delights in us. It's about receiving from him. It's not just about focusing on how bad our pride is. It's about receiving his forgiveness, receiving his love, receiving his power, receiving his strength. If you're here and you're not yet a Christian, it begins with you confessing your need for a savior and trusting that Jesus is yours, believing today that he died on a cross for your sins, And that he rose again on the third day to give you new life. If that's you, I I invite you to agree with God and say, God, save me. Save me today. I receive your forgiveness. And know this morning that he delights in you. And church, we respond by receiving from him. If pride is about glorifying myself, humility is about glorifying God. And we have an opportunity to do that right now. And the good news is that because we are so loved, you can make the right decisions this week without it being all about your ego. Our arrogance is healed because he reveals our pride. But so is our insecurity healed because he reveals his love. We don't need to worry about how we measure up according to other people because in Christ, you are accepted. So Jesus delights in us to forgive us and to share his place with us. Are we delighting in him? Let's humble ourselves and receive from Jesus right now. Let's pray and watch him work. Heavenly Father, you know the areas in which we need to confess, the areas in which we need healing. And we ask right now that you would do that by shining your light on these areas of pride knowing that you do not do this to condemn us. You do this to heal us because you love us. I pray that we would freely and gladly confess our pride this morning, knowing that forgiveness is guaranteed because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And I pray that we would delight in you, rejoice in you, and come to you for our needs receive from you the power, love, strength, and direction we need. God, I pray that nothing would hold us back this morning from receiving from you. And if there's anyone here who has not yet accepted you, I pray that right now they would, that they would pray from their own heart and just say, Jesus, save me. May your spirit move right now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we have an opportunity right now to to go in the opposite of direction of pride. And the good news is that humility is all about delighting in God and receiving from God. It's not about all the effort that you can muster up or you got to work something out in order to come to God. He's already made a way for you. So come forward right now. The men and women are to my left and in a few moments they'll be here to my right. They're going to be wearing the prayer lanyards. Just come up and pray, receive from God. Ask for prayer where it is that you need change, where you need healing, where you need direction, where you need strength, where you need provision. Come and ask. Let nothing keep you from coming and asking and receiving. We can come down to the carpets. We can lift our hands. We can get on our knees and say, God, I want to delight in you. Because that's how we experience healing. We can come and we can take communion celebrating the finished work of Jesus Christ, His humility praising God that this is the source of our salvation. If you're a Christian, come forward and celebrate communion today and let's lift our voices, let's lift our hands and let's sing from the bottom of our heart because humility is about delighting in the God who in his grace delights in you in Christ. It doesn't get any better than that. So let's press in right now. Let's not be spectators Let's be participants in what the Holy Spirit wants to do right now. Let's respond.